We are back with another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment, and we were talking about wanting to record a film that we probably see differently on and interpret differently. And alas, this happened way sooner than we thought, but we have found a film for Sarah and I do not see eye to eye on, um, and that film is Glass, 2019. So... Uh, before we discovered that we disagree on Glass, and we don't know the extent of our disagreement because we have not talked about this film at all since we saw it. Which we normally do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So after that Whiplash episode, we were like, man, how do we find a movie that we disagree on? And we were like going back and forth and trying to figure it out. And I was getting all stressed out. Like, how do we find this movie that we disagree on? And then here it is. It fell wonderfully right into our laps so much sooner than I expected as Me well too. a lot of our previous episodes Sarah and I you know are wired pretty similarly in a lot of ways and so we love a lot of the same characters and have similar rants and similar moments of gushing about film but glass was not one of them <laughs> Nope. Uh, So this is going to be an interesting episode. Uh, And because we haven't really discussed this film, we really don't know where this episode is going to take us. Um, Mm -hmm. So we are along for the ride, just like you are. So this should be a pretty fun episode. Yes. In the spirit of this truly being authentic, this is just us having a conversation about this film and we happen to be hitting the record button. So we have no idea what the other each other thinks about this film. Okay, let's start off maybe with our usual tradition IMDb summary for Glass. And there weren't very many choices this time for Sarah to choose from, so. Nope, there was a whole one and it's <laughs> pretty bad. Um, Quote so from Sarah is, Let's use it, and then we'll mock it. And I said, awesome. Yes. There is always time for mockery. Oh, so yes. here we are. We're going to make some time today. <laughs> um, security guard David Dunn uses his supernatural abilities to track Kevin Wendell Crumb, a, desert, a disturbed man who has 24 personalities. That's it? That's it. That's it. Oh, my gosh. I know. How bad is that? That doesn't capture the full extent of my visceral reaction throughout the two hours of being in this dark theater on a Thursday night. <laughs> oh, my yeah, Lord. Yeah, that's, that's a terrible summary. Oh, my Lord. It sounds so so uh, vanilla, so docile, so uneventful, which is not what this film was at all. No, and it doesn't even mention Sam L. Like, how can you go without mentioning... Mr. Glass, when the movie is literally titled Glass. Glass. (laughs) Yeah, I wonder if maybe their intent was to keep that kind of an exciting surprise. But considering it's called Glass and he's on the movie cover. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) All right. So, gosh, where to even begin? What were your (laughs) thoughts of Glass? (laughs) Oh, man. I, um, I'm so curious. <laughs> I, I real in one of our conversations, I told Sarah, I said, I know you've seen glass and every part of me wants to ask how you, what, what you thought of it and how you reacted to it. But I'm going to refrain with all the bones <laughs> in my body. I'm going to refrain from asking. <laughs> so I enjoyed this film for the first two-thirds of it, I was completely 100% bought in. I was like, yes, this is great filmmaking. Shyamalan, you've done it again. Like, total fangirling for the first two-thirds of the movie. And then it got into the third act. And I went, oh, no. It was so bad. I, I hated the ending with an, with an undying passion. Does like, the writer and you just want was, to scream at the way they closed out the narrative arc for like every character at the end? So I remember distinctly thinking, I don't remember at what scene, but I was sitting there in the theater going, 
M. Knight, man, okay, I know that you're brilliant. You have great ideas. You're a phenomenal director. However, I need you to get a buddy. I need you to find somebody who is a writer who can help you with this script because it's <laughs> awful. Like, the the dialogue in a lot of parts, I was like, oh, uh, no, no, this is so bad. But, um, and I like parts of the third act, but mm-hmm. I didn't like a lot of what they did. And <laughs> the ending of the film was so anticlimactic to me. I was like, really? Three movies and this is how you're ending this? <laughs> But there was so much of it that I just loved. And when I think back about this movie, and as I was thinking about it to get ready for this podcast, like I kept returning to those things that I loved. And then I was like, man, why did I walk out of it going, I was only okay. And then I remember the ending and then I get upset all over again. (laughs) This is one of those films that you wished you could have stopped two thirds of the way in and just leave it at a cliffhanger and let's start up again next time with the next movie. Yeah, (laughs) there was so much good about it. And then it just, it just kind of fizzled out. Yeah. Yeah. I will share my thoughts as well without going into any spoilers. And then we will kind of pause and say, if you haven't seen Glass yet, don't listen beyond, (laughs) you know, that, that whole spiel that we often do (laughs) because we don't want to spoil the ending. The endings, um, there's a lot of things that are revealed at the end, so. All right, so my thoughts on Glass. Well, I saw it on a Thursday night after work. Uh, I was, I, I, I'll preface this by saying I have not seen Unbreakable and I had not seen Split and I had not seen the trailer. The only thing that I knew about Glass was that it was a much anticipated film and it was a superhero thriller. That's all I knew. So I kind of <laughs> went in thinking that it was going to be a more fun entertaining superhero film um, oh yeah you know? no. and it was a Thursday night after work it was a long <laughs> day I got my popcorn I was excited to settle in for this fun action movie oh no and <laughs> I proceeded to spend two hours in a dark theater with the popcorn very close to my face so that I could at any moment move it two inches to the left and block my entire view. Um, I will also preface this by saying I am not a big psychological thriller horror movie fan, so that I'm sure contributes to some of my sentiments about this film. But I've- And the whole time I was watching the film, because I watched it Monday, I was watching it going, okay, is Jen going to be able to watch this and be okay with this movie? <laughs> <laughs> and there were some dicey to... parts. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that's going to be a little scary for her. But I thought it was going to be a lot worse than it actually was <laughs> for you. Yeah, I, I full disclaimer, I am in total transparency, a total wuss. I don't, I'm not a big gore person. I'm not a big horror person. Um, I actually, I'd say, I saw this with a friend. It was kind of last minute. I was planning to see this on my own. Thank God I didn't do that. Um, and I invited her last minute because she's big into thrillers and psychological horror. And I told her that, you know, be prepared for me to turtle in many parts of this <laughs> film. Um, but she, I'm glad I had seen it with her. And I think setting aside all of my sentiments about that parts of it, in general, I think there are a lot of things that this film does that I didn't love. One of them is the ending. One of them is this overarching message of the film and the way that it portrayed a lot of the ending scenes I thought was problematic. It reminded me a lot of how I felt about the ending of Jurassic World. I don't remember which one we had seen. Do you remember, Sarah? Uh, one of the Jurassic Worlds it was, it was just the, came out. It was the second one. The, is it called Fallen Kingdom? Fallen Kingdom, yes. The moral of, the, of that story is, listen to Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> there you go. I just saved you two hours. Go about your life. Yeah. Not. <laughs> anyway, the way that film ends and – my rage in the way that film ends is very similar <laughs> to the way that this one ends. Very American ideal that's portrayed. And then 
I think the other big thing is that this film assumes that you have seen the two previous films. And I get that we're in this sequel craze right now with just creating more and more films in one universe, um, whether it be Marvel or Star Wars or the Fast and Furious ones or, you know, all of them. I don't even, we don't have time to name all of them. But some of those are enjoyable as an independent standalone film. And this one to me felt thin because I didn't have a lot of the context for the motives, the backstory, why certain moments were incredibly significant because I had not seen the previous two. And I had watched this uh, YouTube video that Sarah sent me that she said might be helpful context, which is basically unbreakable and split in nine minutes. So I had (laughs) even a little bit of context, but a lot of moments were thin and I, I just couldn't connect and get behind the characters that felt more two-dimensional to me because I didn't have a lot of the context. So this film portrayed for me a lot of the problems with creating sequels that are weak as standalone films. Um, So those are some of my thoughts on this film without spoiling much of the endings. That's so interesting because I thought that they, that he did such a good job at like filling in the audience who maybe hadn't seen the movies. Mm. That's so interesting. Okay. All right. So shall we end? It's hard to talk about this film, especially because um, the ending is a big part of what we want to talk about. So maybe we we need to cue the moment of spoilers are about to ensue. If you haven't seen Glass yet, it's still in theaters. Go out and see it. I think this is one that really rewards the viewer going to the theater to see versus watching it on your laptop at home. So definitely if you can see it in a large dark room with this happening on a large screen, full surround sound for the violin runs that drove me absolutely nutso. (laughs) (laughs) Just like it just pierced to my soul. I was like, oh, I'm just bone, bone tingling, bone tingling. Um, I loved those. That's what it was well done. That was well done. That, oh, it got me so good. Yeah. Mm. So, yes, please do not go any further if you have not seen Glass. Uh, stop the podcast. It will <laughs> stay stopped. You can go watch the movie and then come back and pick right back where you left off. Um, and like Jen said, it is one that definitely rewards you for watching it in theaters. So mm-hmm. please do so. Yes. We don't want to spoil the movie for you. No, there's a, this is one of those films where there's a lot of really cool things that are revealed at the end that if you had known before watching the film, it it ruins a lot of that fun part at the end of the reveal. Yep. They have been uh, successfully warned. <laughs> we should have um, like a 30-second just silence of time for you to press pause. <laughs> Oh, that would be so awkward. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Although now with the like fast forward 30 seconds button, like True. if you do that, you can just boop, press a button and then, oh, we're back. True. We'll time it to 31 seconds. So it begins <laughs> exactly where you need it to. <laughs> just kidding. You don't want to hear us breathe for 30 seconds. That's not no, good. that's creepy. Um, all right. So the ending. What were your thoughts on the ending? Oh, it's so problematic. Ugh. I... I love that he killed off all three main characters. I absolutely mm-hmm. love that. I agree. Um, I love it when main kill- characters are killed off. I think, <laughs> like, it's 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 just a basic writing principle. Like, you have to be willing to kill your darlings. And that's that's exactly what he did. And it's such a bold choice. And I, I appreciate his his daring to be able to do that, especially when you know, diehard, pun intended, Shyamalan fans, (laughs) like, love uh, David Dunn. And, you know, we've been waiting for an Unbreakable sequel for 19 years, and finally they've done it. And then you kill off this beloved character in in the end. And I think, man, that's really, really brave to do. Um, I hate how How he killed off David Dunn. Yeah. 
um, yeah, I. You mean a and, puddle is not majestic? Oh my lord! <laughs> and like when they were in the tank and fighting, I was like, okay, this is cool. And then like they did this other shot where the puddle is included, and I went, no, no, don't do it. Don't use the puddle. I know that you're going to because you included it in the shot, but don't use the puddle. Then he used the puddle. puddle. I was all kinds of upset about it. And the other thing is he was was killed by some random policeman security guard. Like Mm -hmm. if if he were to be killed off, I think he should have – he deserved to be killed off by a character that we care about in this struggle that – feel significant versus a random ass security card that's there just happens to be standing by. I was I was a little more okay with that because it was uh what was the doctor's name? Sarah Paulson's character. Yeah, Sarah Paulson. I don't remember the character name, but uh because oh Dr. Ellie Staple, thank Staple. you, IMDB. Yes. Um because she was like the the main villain of this in a way and he was working on her orders so I was a little bit more okay with that I was just not okay with the puddle (laughs) the puddle just didn't didn't work as a plot device (laughs) did it didn't work for me it no I I don't like don't like that don't kill off David Dunn in a puddle (laughs) like man just No, I was not feeling the puddle. Okay. So the puddle was problematic. What did you think about the fact that they release these videos of these superhumans and <laughs> oh, now we're going to release all of the superhumans that are hiding? <laughs> this is very Jurassic World-esque where let's release a mass amount of these incredibly dangerous creatures into all of the earth and let them run wild. That seems like a beautiful idea. And oh, look how majestic they are prancing around. Like, what were your thoughts on that? Because that was highly problematic to me. I just, it was too anticlimactic for this film. And I, I get that this film is very non-superhero-y. It's like mm-hmm. the anti-superhero movie, yes, which very is much so. what I love about it so much. But it's like these three people release these videos into the world, and then they're in this empty train station in Philadelphia, and there's like three other people in there. And then they like slowly get notifications on their phone, and they're watching these videos, that are kind of impressive, but not really. Like, (laughs) it just doesn't work. Like, I like the idea in in theory of, you know, you, you know, people have these, these hidden talents and can be used for good and, like, you are more than you appear to be and, you know, it could be this, like, inspiring thing. But the way that it was done, it was just, like, Really? That's how you're ending this? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, like, all of this momentum that is built up over the course of the movie and all of this tension that he he lays out so beautifully is just, it fizzles out and you're left going, okay, what was Uh, that? I guess so, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I found it problematic in that way as well, but... I also found it problematic because there's no semblance of responsibility of what will happen when superhumans are beginning to pop up all over the world. And we've seen through the course of the past two hours that these superhumans, when they're not bound by policy or just let they're unrestrained. Loose, unrestrained, that's the word I was looking for. Yes, when they're unrestrained, it is highly problematic. Like, here's a mastermind that has performed several terrorist attacks to find a superhero. Here's mm-hmm. a guy who has 24 personalities and unleashes into this wild animal at any given moment. And here's another dude that, well, he's a little bit better. Um, 
but maybe it's the logical person in me that just thinks about if this were reality this is highly problematic and can't get behind this whole fantastical train that we're supposed to be riding but there was no inkling or conversation about maybe we should think about what the implications of this might be or how are we going to rein this in or what does this mean next they're like nah Here's these beautiful creatures. Let's unleash them and not have any restraint. And I found that very Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom-esque. <laughs> where I'm like, oh my lord, you just unleashed chaos for, soci- for this society. But that's what, you know, Sarah Paulson's uh, secret society of, you know, killer bad guys is there for. So <laughs> they got it. It's okay. They all got clover tattoos. They're going to handle it. It's fine. That Um, whole reveal was comical to me. (laughs) Yes, we can circle back to that. But I have one more thought about the ending. Yes. In that my other big problem with it, as I was thinking about it, is that Mr. Glass ends up being kind of this, like, revolutionary hero in a way. Like, Yes. He, yeah. And when you've spent you know, a movie and a half making him into this villain. And like the way that they did it in Unbreakable was brilliant because you think that he's going to be, he's the guide for David Dunn to realize that he's a superhero. And then, you know, this twist of, oh my gosh, you're the one that caused all of these terrorist attacks. Like, holy crap, that was brilliant. And it was wonderful. And so then it feels like, M. Knight tried to do the opposite with this. And I'm going, no, you can't do that. Like, he is he is a terrorist and he might be brilliant, but he's still a bad guy. He's still a villain at the end of the day. So to try and have this, oh, he's a he's a liberator of, of superheroes and he's, you know, the the hero in this film is very, very problematic for me as well. I completely agree. I I had such an issue with that as well. And I I think the challenging thing is that when that whole kind of ending voiceover sequence happened, there was a little part of me that was like, oh, what a beautiful message. Like unleashing the extraordinary in each of us. Yes, I can get behind that. And then my next thought was, oh, wait. <laughs> No, I don't want to get behind this. Not in this context. No, no, no. Retract. (laughs) But I think it does speak to something within each of us, a very American ideal as well of unleashing these hidden talents that we have and being able to believe that we have them to bring them to the forefront. I mean, I think about that scene with David Dunn where he began to self-doubt his own abilities and his powers Mm -hmm. and his strength. And it's only when there is a moral desire that he had to stop the beast from, you know, being unveiled to all of society in that building reveal. And that was his motivating factor. And he then was able to knock down that steel door. Like that was a moment that I thought was, ah, yes. Got tucked at my heartstrings a little bit. And that ending scene did as well until I had to critically use the other half of my brain and think, <laughs> I can't be supportive of this. But um, it, it does make his character more complex and more nuanced, a lot more gray, which might have been his intention is to get you to think about, do you want to get behind this or not? And um, his intentions were were right in some ways, but the way he carried it out was problematic. So, you know, how to wrestle with that tension and that dichotomy there. It's kind of interesting. So I thought it was cool that he did that, but I'm not necessarily supportive of the way that it painted him in this kind of very glorious orange ambient light at the end. Yeah, I agree. And that's what that's what I loved about Mr. Glass is you realize that he is so complex. I think that he just took it a hair too far in trying to make him into a good guy um, instead of keeping him like dead center in the middle. But man, just another 
you know, uh, bad mark on the ending. Yeah. I thought it was well done though. That very, very last scene where you realize that he had been live streaming all of the video footage to, I don't know, these private servers and then sent them to, um, each of the, his mom, the girl and David Dunn's son. And it was well done because I, the movie what could have ended and was very much over. And then there was this last little bit that was tacked onto the end. And so I, I don't know about you. I really didn't see it coming. I thought the movie was like ready, ready to wrap up and be done. And I loved that they added that little bit at the end where it's like, ah, but wait, you thought it was over. Um, so I thought that was well done. Yeah, that's, um, I feel like something that Shyamalan is so good at. He, mm. you think that it's over and then, nope, there's something else. He has something else up his sleeve, um, which is one of the reasons why I love his movies so much. There's, there's always more to see. And he's one of those directors that, that really rewards careful viewers um, there's always something else going on in the background. There's always hints and clues as to what the, the twists and turns are going to be. Like he's so thoughtful in the way that he creates everything. Um, so I think that that ending as flawed as it is, is just another example of his style of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Going back to your very first point, I also really loved that he was willing to kill off all three of them. I I did not expect that. Um, I could see I, I had a hunch that potentially Kevin Crumble Crumb. Oh gosh, I don't remember Kevin the beast. Wendell Crumb. Kevin Wendell Crumb. Yes, <laughs> I had a feeling he wasn't going to make it in the end, um, mm-hmm. but I did not expect David Dunn to go and for Glass yeah. to go as well. Ugh, it's so good. Yeah, well you done. had to kill off all three. Mm-hmm. Reminded me of Rogue One at the end where you're like, are they really going to? Yep, oh, okay, well, everyone's dead. Okay, awesome. They did it. They had the balls to do it. I love that. <laughs> Ugh, those are the best. Yes. <laughs> okay, so something that we mentioned in the in our initial thoughts was that we, we saw differently on, which I would love to unpack, is the way that he chose to reference back to the previous two movies and how you thought he had done that well. I thought that, that it felt thin. Let's unpack that a little bit more. Yeah, I I had seen Unbreakable um, a number of times. It's been a long time since I last saw it, but... Um, I watched it so many times when I was younger. Um, and then I've, I've never seen Split. But I didn't feel like I was missing any information from Split. Um, the, the longer that I watched Glass, the more that I remembered of Unbreakable. Um, but I, I felt like I had all of the information that I needed in order to really get into these into these characters and into this plot line. And one of my favorite things that he did was he took footage from those movies and interwove it into this one. And uh, the coolest part was when he took um, scenes from that were shot in Unbreakable but weren't in that movie, and he used it in Glass. And so when they, when they show... Um, Kevin Wendell Crumb's father on the train and then seamlessly wove that into uh, David Dunn sitting on the train. I was just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. (laughs) I totally geeked out at that point in time and my heart was so full. Um, But yeah, I felt like I had, I had all the information that I needed um, about Kevin Wendell Crumb. I didn't need any more about him. Mm. Yeah, I think a lot of the plot points that I felt were thinner are maybe ones that you had context from from Unbreakable because I also mm-hmm. didn't feel like I needed to know more about Kevin Wendell Crumb. But I, I kept wondering, why does Mr. Glass want to raise 
superheroes? Like what is his, mm. what is his motive for that? I didn't really know why um, or what the backstory was there, but I knew there co- might have been one. I also, if I had not seen that nine minute YouTube video, <laughs> would not have really understood a lot of context for David Dunn's son. And so in that last ending scene when he's that he's getting involved in the conflict, I was like, it didn't really have context for why or how much he knew about the whole situation. Um, the girl as well, I, I knew there was oh, some history. Yeah. I with, was, I didn't get her. I was like, chick, what is going on with you? But she is a, it, the, the split is primarily about her and Kevin Wendell Crow. Correct. So yeah. it's like, I know that there's missing pieces and I can see the outlines of these missing pieces, but I have no idea. I actually like broke a movie rule and pulled out my phone and wikipedia it because <laughs> I wanted the context, which I normally don't, don't do and don't recommend doing. Um, but for this one, I was legit reading the plot summary for Split while watching this movie um, for more context because I was like, who is this girl? Do they yeah. – why is she – here is the moment where I was like, okay, there's something missing here that I probably don't have context for. But when she shows up to – the psychiatric hospital and she's like holding hands with this guy that kidnapped her and they mm-hmm. have this deep connection. I was like, what is happening here? <laughs> that's the moment that I pulled out my phone <laughs> to read the summary. Yeah, um, that's, that's fair. I think it was about, uh, yeah, it was about that point in time when I was like, well, that's an interesting way to take this character Mm-hmm. We have a little is a uh, Stockholm situation going on here. Like mm-hmm. I was, I was so thrown off by that. Like I didn't, I didn't understand that character choice. Like I, I understood the the part that she had to play in the plot. Mm-hmm. I just had trouble making that mental leap from her being his uh, like. Captive. Being captured by him and then trying to save him or yes. being willing to touch him. Like, yes. that was just too big of a mental leap for me to make. Mm-hmm. And I th- and what clicked for me when I was reading Wikipedia is that she had scars on her stomach in, in the, like, final scene in Split when he's about to basically demolish her. His motive is that he wants to get rid of those that have never suffered. And when he saw the scars on her stomach, he realized that she was like him and that they were similar. And I guess at some point in that movie, she realized that she could call out to the true Kevin Wendell Crumb Mm -hmm. by saying his name. And she kind of saw who he really was beyond all of these personalities and beyond the beast. And so those scenes where I saw them together and her crying over his his death made a lot more sense to me. And I felt like I could be on board with it. And I'm like, yes, I'm here for this. This makes sense. Okay, cool. But without that context, without good old Wikipedia, I I would have been confused. (laughs) Yeah, like, even with all of that, because, like, I knew that, but even with that, it was too big of a mental leap for me to make, and I know, like, it was because of, like, she had been abused, and, like, she had the courage to, Mm -hmm. like, call the cops and, like, extricate herself from that unhealthy situation, in large part due to Kevin Wendell Crumb, but even that, I'm like... I I just, I couldn't make that mental leap, even with all of these facts, Mm -hmm. which, which just made that like relationship so weird to me. Like anytime she was in a scene, I was going, girl, what are you thinking? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Let's take you, let's get you into some therapy. Like let's let's work through these issues. Let's, let's get to the root of this. <laughs> well, good to know that you don't support Stockholm Syndrome. This is very good. I, I good don't. Things. Yeah, yes. no, it's, it's not the best. It's not recommended. Um, 
<laughs> but one thing that I do support is uh, James McAvoy's performance oh, in this movie. Oh, yes. <laughs> I was thinking that I was as I was watching this film. Is my gosh, he really did such a incredible job with that, and and especially in the scenes where he had to change those characters very quickly and rapidly. Oh, to change everything from mannerisms to the way he spoke was so well executed. In one shot, in one conversation, with him just augmenting his voice, his face, his body language, like, oh, it was brilliant. Yes. <laughs> like, I, I've liked him as an actor, but this made me appreciate him so much more. I was like, bro, you are capable of a lot. Oh, wow. Can we see more of this from you? When he was playing the Hedwig personality mm-hmm. of the nine-year-old boy, uh, I just wanted to take that little boy out and put him into a human body because it was so endearing. <laughs> the fact that he could make that so endearing for me was well done. <laughs> On that yeah. same vein, I thought Bruce Willis's performance was pretty vanilla. Well, I mean, it's also maybe Bruce he's supposed Willis, to be. So, I don't know. Like, you know, yeah, there, there wasn't a lot of spotlight shown on David Dunn in mm-hmm. this, um, and it's really hard for this exhausted, you know, superhero vigilante guy to shine when he's on when he's sharing screen time with James McAvoy's amazing 24 personality. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So I think like that's part of the character is he just flies under the radar. And I think that's also just Bruce Willis in general. I never expect like brilliant acting from him. Sorry, any diehard Bruce Willis fans (laughs) out there. Um, But I think, yeah, compared to, to James McAvoy's performance, I think he overshadowed everybody. Mm-hmm. It's like seeing yeah. a photo or an ad for vanilla ice cream or for seeing one <laughs> with like Rocky Road and Jimmy's and a cherry on top. Like, which one do you want? <laughs> yeah, night and, and I day. Think, I think if you didn't have the nostalgia for mm. Unbreakable and you didn't, know the whole process that he went through then maybe it would have been a little bit harder to cheer for him mm-hmm. and see all of the little things that he does in this uh because you know you have the the rocky road with the cherry on top instead of a really really just solid vanilla bean mm-hmm. yeah yeah agreed I mean but that goes to back, back to my previous point of is there a way this film could have been done or crafted where those that have not seen the previous two movies could have fully enjoyed a rich experience? Um, or was it just too challenging to do that? And he doesn't care. He's not trying to make this film for those people. He's making it for his fans. I, I don't know. But it's an interesting challenge that a lot of films face. Um, even the Star Wars films. I know there's certain moments and scenes that you just are – don't care about if you don't know the significance of like the dice that Han had or you know like Mm. that I can see how it's challenging but I think it's again problem problems with creating sequels just inevitably a challenge yeah and this I mean it's a 19 year build up from the first one Mm -hmm. so the people who who have been excited for this and wanting this. I think, I think M night is at this point where he's like, I'm going to make it the way that I want to make it. So if you don't have context, go watch the other two movies and get context. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm going to give you a little bit and I'm going to explain what I feel I need to, but the rest of it, you can go watch them. They're streaming somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like how I feel about folks that complain about the new Star Wars movies and they find it boring, I'm like, well, 
you should just watch the other like five million and then watch this one. <laughs> and you'll fully enjoy it, I promise. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah. Just such a small time commitment. Just watch a bunch of movies. <laughs> well, that's how I feel about the Marvel universe is Oh, there's I've too just many. Fought, there's seventeen. I remember counting one time. There's probably more since the last time I counted. Maybe we're at like <laughs> twenty one now. Um so yeah, when I find thirty four hours to watch movies well and my problem with the marvel universe and we've gone off on a tangent but it's still superhero related so it's fine um (laughs) is i've already i've watched so many of them i have not watched all of them but i've watched the majority and so because i've watched so many i have to keep watching because i've already invested so many hours and i'm so close I just, I have to keep going, even though I don't particularly want to keep going. Well, that's, that's how they're reeling you in, you and your wallet. It's brilliant. (laughs) I mean, take my money. Why don't you? (laughs) But I'm over here thinking, what about all the ones that haven't seen it? Like, haven't seen all 17. Like, I feel like I'm getting left behind. And Mm -hmm. the only solution is for me to carve out a day and a half to yep. watch these back to back or, you know, read the summaries or I don't know, like it just, can we make exactly. it so that it's enjoyable for me as well? I don't know. People like Not me. in a Marvel movie. No, no not at there's, all. There's too many characters now. They're trying to do too many things all in one. Like, even if I have seen the movie, it's, I was texting one of my friends who's like a diehard Marvel fan while I was watching um, Infinity War going, wait, who is, who is this person? Why are they doing this? Even though I've seen the movies that these people are in, like mm-hmm. <laughs> I was still lost at certain points. So I can't imagine how you felt during that movie. Yeah. I uh, had my friend's little sister explain every character that popped up on the screen (laughs) and it honestly felt like I was watching a video game because you know when you watch video games you don't you don't care about who the players are really it's just people Mm, fighting yeah so I'm like ah a video game that we're not in control of here on screen (laughs) (laughs) um but while we're on the topic of superhero movies I think this interesting this this film will be interesting to see how it ages because it's very much released in a context and in a landscape that's littered with other superhero movies and to see the way it has contrasted with those other ones is exciting it's a breath of fresh air it offers Mm -hmm. some interesting viewpoints so I think for um, viewers in say 50 years where superhero movies are like the old mafia movies from um, <laughs> early cinema where it's not prominent anymore and they're watching this as a standalone will be a very different experience without all of the context of the superhero landscape we have now. So I think that'll be interesting for folks that watch this decades down the line to be aware that this has come out in a very ripe superhero context and should be considered in relationship to those other superhero films and I think that's why like one of the reasons why I did enjoy this is because it's it's so different than other superhero films and it was so um audacious back in 2000 when Unbreakable was released like there weren't superhero movies out really like it wasn't a thing it wasn't an entire genre Mm -hmm. um so and this idea of these like fly under the radar ordinary people superheroes there's just there's something about that that for me is really appealing like now you know superheroes are like flashy and the capes and the the identities and then you have like iron man who's like i'm iron man and it's just larger than life yeah yeah it's it's so excessive and so i love like the, the quietness of this. Um, and I think it's just such an interesting way to go, especially given the landscape. I liked that this was a breath of fresh air, uh, much like Unbreakable was back then. Mm. 
Interesting. Yeah. So it's, it's offering this more potentially more realistic perspective of the, the idea that anyone can be a superhero. It's like, no, and you can be a, be slightly stronger, slightly more um, sensitive and observant, slightly more um, talented and intelligent. Like, it's not that you need to be shooting out spider webs from your wrists and being able to stick to the side of buildings to be able to be a superhero. And I think, like, so many of these superhero films are trying to make it like that. Like, you know, yeah, you can be a hero too. And I feel like this is more of the, like, adult version of that not like Mm -hmm. not that adults can't watch marvel and superhero movies we're adults and we watch them but this is like the the real world version of that i feel like and it's almost like m night is saying hey guys you can hope too you can try for something greater Mm -hmm. you can be just a little bit better why not like lean into that strength Mm -hmm. so i think there's there's a good underlying message to it, even if the film is very problematic. <laughs> yeah, he's saying be extraordinary, but don't orchestrate terrorist attacks or like eat people alive. Maybe, maybe not that. Yeah, I feel like that's fair. You yeah, know? I can, I'm down for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, and also, uh, don't have Stockholm syndrome, and please don't relate to Belle from Beauty and the Beast. Please. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Just just a few guidelines. It's fine. Not yes. too many. They're not rules. They're just guidelines. Boundaries yes. for safe superheroing. It's okay. I I liked the premise of the ending where it's like, yes, let's let's show people that they can believe in themselves and unleash the extraordinary, but let's also make a committee to uh, govern that <laughs> and to police that and to regulate that a little bit maybe, you know? Okay, can we talk about the secret society now and their, oh my their clovers on their wrists? I forgot that we hadn't talked about that yet. <laughs> oh, my Lord. So, okay. There's one thing that I like about it. Actually, there's a couple things that I like about it. But oh, please inform me. I hate the clovers. Can we start there? Because okay. that's stupid. Um, <laughs> I, I loved how it was executed uh their meetings they're completely unrealistic it no like it's dumb and i know that it's dumb but while i was watching it and like watching the restaurant and like the the way that the noise changed like as soon as those other people left everything stopped and it was silent and it was such a cool juxtaposition because that doesn't happen in a restaurant full of people. Mm-hmm. And so to me, like that was just really, really a cool sensory experience, mm. even though it's a very dumb idea. Um, <laughs> and I really, I liked, because um, I didn't like Sarah Paulson's character for pretty much the entire film up until she stood up in one of those silent meeting situations and basically explained her role. And then I was like, oh, you're cool. I'm good with this now. <laughs> um, that, that instead of, you know, just killing these superheroes, she tries to manipulate them in order to doubt their powers. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, chick. Okay. There's, that's a fun little twist in your character. Now I'm down. Okay. Um, so those were the the sensory experience of the meetings and then her revealing her true job are the only things that I liked about the secret society. Other than that, <laughs> I have a lot of problems with it, particularly the clover tattoos. <laughs> the clover tattoos kill me. They're, well, they're so bad. <laughs> I will say what I, I also loved is that he chose to portray them and shoot them in this kind of um, uh, very ornate upscale looking restaurant as well um he could have chosen many different ways to portray them you know like huddled in a basement somewhere or in a dark room somewhere but the fact that he had them kind of in a normal context that 
looked so unassuming and then immediately changed, I thought was really well done. Um, and then also visually, it's just such a different environment from the psychiatric hospital as well, which was also, I think, a smart move to kind of show like, here are these two different worlds of people, but here's how they're intersecting now. Yeah, I I loved it. Like another thing that he he flipped on its head, you know, it's not this, you know, secret society and huddled in this corner or Mm -hmm. meeting in the dead of night, like not the middle of the day in the middle of a restaurant in the middle of a bustling city. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's pretty gutsy for a secret society. Yeah. And going back to that idea that we were talking about earlier about, um, his way of trying to make this closer to reality, you know, the next time you're walking by a restaurant, it's like, remember that scene from Glass where <laughs> they were all secret society? <laughs> like Maybe it, all of these people are meeting together yeah, to check, conspire against superheroes. Check if there's tattoos. Yeah, look at their wrists. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so I thought that was, that was well done. But I, I simultaneously love that it was so under the radar for the whole film, and then they just randomly revealed that towards the end but it also seemed like it just came out of absolutely nowhere yeah and like I knew because she kept saying the whole three days thing I was like okay there's something else going on Mm -hmm. here and there was some other clue that I don't remember now um so I didn't really feel surprised by it but whenever I watch movies I always watch what's going on in the background. I rarely watch what's going on in the foreground. So I'm usually not blindsided by things. Um, And this was just one of them. Like, it just felt like the natural progression of this that, Mm -hmm. yeah, she was part of a secret society. Cool. They were the ones that had given her this time limit um, to handle this. Yeah, and it was... Um, was it was also great that they made her cause and her motive sympathetic as well. Um, it reminds me of Black Panther where you can see both sides of the conflict and both of them have a very valid perspective, maybe not fully in agreement with one of them, but there's an, an empathy and a connection with what she's trying to do and what their intention is yeah because you see this like you see them kill off David Dunn in this violent awful way uh and then you see that it's this is her like she tried so hard to avoid this Mm -hmm. and she's only doing it because she knows that it's for the greater good in her mind. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, no, you just killed off the hero. And then you're like, well, wait, I guess it's more complicated than that. And you're left in this awkward tension. Um, as if the movie wasn't tense enough, then you have to have this tension within yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. That was well done. Good plot point there. Alrighty, so... This was awesome. I'm so glad that we see it so differently. It, it made too. for a very exciting conversation and um, different interpretations and perspectives that we had were really fun to unpack and find things that we saw similarly and things that we saw very differently. I, I loved it. We'll have to find more of these. I hope they fall into our lap as easily as this one. I know, me too. Yes, it's so. it's a times where... We text each other afterwards in all caps, but what we're saying in all caps is very different. You, we, we know it's going to be a fun episode when that happens. Yes, we just need to find more of them. <laughs> yes. So kind of closing thoughts on Glass. The more that I think about it, as I said before, the more that I like it. The ending is still problematic, but I... I'm a big fan of M. Night Shyamalan, and he's done it again. And I was, I was very satisfied with this movie. Um, and I, sitting there, mm, nope, the entire movie, uh, one consistent thought through my head was that that violin 
as oh my dissonant and discordant as it was, uh, that was such like that was the MVP of the movie to me. Yes, like the best character. Oh, it was absolutely wonderful, <laughs> and that was what immediately drew me in. Was that, and I was like, okay, yep, I'm ready. I'm here for this. I don't know what's going to happen, but that violin got me so good. So it's just, again, it's in those little details that he includes um, that really sets the whole stage for that movie and sets the tone for what you're about to experience. Mm -hmm. So I enjoyed it. And I'm I'm happy that we reviewed it. I am too. I This was not an enjoyable two hours for me, but I am very grateful that I saw this film. Um, it it really created this visceral reaction in me that I would not have voluntarily put myself through. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I was I was watching this film. I was thinking about how we often talk about how trailers are just so problematic for ruining a lot of a film's visual look. Um, the mood, the style, plot, major plot points are often revealed in trailers. But this is a film that I would have loved to watch the trailer before seeing because I might not have seen it. But I'm glad that I did it in this situation. <laughs> so all that aside, I I think the narrative arc for this film was not as powerful as I would have wanted it to be. I think maybe if I had seen the previous two, my thoughts on this would have been different. But that's just a challenge that a lot of um, sequels face. So it's not unique to this one. What I loved about this film was the filmmaking. There's this one shot of Mr. Glass, Samuel L. Jackson with his giant fro and the light coming from behind him. And you just see the dust particles in the light and the silhouette of his characters that he of his character as I, as he rolls into the beast's room. And I yeah. will not forget that shot. And I will not forget the violins in, in this film as well. So um, it was a very creative filmmaking and premise that I, I found intriguing. I, it really had me thinking a lot um, throughout the film. So, Also, much like the movie, we didn't really mention Mr. Glass until about an hour into the movie, just like mm -hmm. Sam L doesn't speak until about an hour into the movie, which I also thought was brilliant. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, I was, every time the camera was on him, I was like, you're thinking so many things and you're planning so many things. Everything's going on inside of your brain. When are you going to share those with me? Mm -hmm. uh, and then he did. And it was a wild ride. The way that he's able to make his eyes look so hollow and empty, yet oh. devious, is impressive. It was so good. And then the little, like, micro-expressions that he did. Mm -hmm. It was, I mean, to sit there in a catatonic state, basically, but still have your character do things of substance at the same time is, is impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree. There was a little part of me, a large chunk of me that was just so excited for him when he was unleashed. I just was rooting yeah. for him to go absolutely nutso and see yep. what would happen. And he sure did. He did. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So that is our review of Glass. Um, this is a really fun episode um, and a really fun discussion. I am so much looking forward to what the next one that will fall in our lap will be. But in the meantime, you can watch this in theaters. It is still out. I think it just came out not too long ago, so it'll be in theaters for a while. Um, go out and see this in theaters. Again, it's one that we highly recommend seeing in theaters versus when it comes out on um, all of the different channels and mediums um don't watch it on a laptop watch it with surround sound and a full large gigantic screen for all of <laughs> this to unfold <laughs> and maybe a huge thing of popcorn if you need to turtle every once in a while oh yes yes <laughs> bring the popcorn i'm so glad that i bought a medium popcorn and not a small <laughs> because there's just more surface area to cover the screen 
very smart, wise choice on my end. Did I finish the medium popcorn? Absolutely not. <laughs> but my my but it, my it mind knew. Job. Yes, my mind knew beforehand. <laughs> awesome. Well, we will be back with another review um, sometime soon. So, hope you guys all have great weeks. Um, and if you need a film to really bring you lots of excitement, go out on C-Class. We'll talk to you soon.